Hey folks, Dr. Kevin here for another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. And before we get into today's episode, I want to do a little bit of an introduction. The reason for it is because we recorded this episode and I didn't spend a lot of time on an introduction. In fact, I didn't do an introduction at all because my guest today has had such a distinguished career. I didn't want to waste a lot of time trying to go into all of his multiple accomplishments that he has done. And also, I don't think he that he would talk about them that much because he, he is pretty humble here. Uh, but he has accomplished amazing things. The guest that we're talking with today has had posts at the University of Queensland, University of Sydney, as well as Oxford University and the UK. He is currently the Chair of Physiotherapy and Professor of Clinical Neurosciences at the University of South Australia. Uh, he has a ton of research when it comes to pain. Uh, also has been running a, a pain consortium that chairs a, was known as the best little uh, meeting in pain anywhere in the world that recently just had their uh, their meeting take place in Australia in well, about two weeks ago here. Uh, now, if we want to talk about academic credentials here, he, he's published over 225 papers. That's a monstrous amount. Have received over $17 million in funding. He's given over 60, 60 keynote talks at big international meetings. Uh, and spoken at all the big national meetings for relevant organizations, pain society, physiotherapy, medical and psychological association, et cetera, in 32 different countries. Now, he, he and his partner, David Butler, have also written a book called Explain Pain, which I'm going to link to in the show notes. It is a fantastic little book that talks about pain, conceptually provides metaphors, puts it in, in plain and simple language that is good if, if you are either a healthcare provider or you're a patient that simply doesn't understand how you can still be hurting in in, in and why you can hurt when people are telling you there nothing is wrong, you know that uh, it's a great book on that. They also have another one called the Explain Pain Handbook or the Protectometer, which is a newer concept that relates to that. And he also wrote a small book called Painful Yarns, which has metaphors and stories to help understand the biology of pain. Now you may think that's not really critical, but I will tell you if you understand pain and you understand how it works, it can be literally life changing. And outside of that, it can um, provide you benefits that you would not think are possible and in some way, shape, or form is not really talked about much in our traditional healthcare system, at least in America here. Uh, this is obviously Dr. Lorimer Mosley, who I'm talking about. Um, another thing that I'm going to link to in show notes is his TED Talk, Why We Hurt, which is a fantastic um, TEDx presentation is about 15 minutes long. He's a great storyteller, and it really illuminates a lot of it when it comes to pain. Uh, and I'm just, this was a, a fantastic interview for me to do. It was quite a privilege. Uh, I will just tell you right now, uh, Dr. Mosley is one of my heroes when it comes to pain. When I was reevaluating my approach to pain and looking at the outcomes that we weren't achieving in the way that I was taught as a fellowship trained interventional pain physician. And when I went back to the literature and really went in to understand pain and really, really go into what it means when we call it, call it an unpleasant sensory emotional experience, uh, it was a lot of Dr. Mosley's papers that really helped me uh, conceptualize and understand that. So I, I owe a, a huge debt of gratitude to him. And uh, I owe him some more because he, he took the time out of his extremely busy schedule to talk to me from Australia. And uh, this was a privilege, and I, I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado here, Dr. Lorma Mosley. Now, oops, one, one more little further ado, though. I forgot, I was so excited during this interview that um, I did not hit record right away. And so we got the first question cut off. The first question really was, how did you become interested in pain? 
and then we will dive right into that. All right, guys, really excited for this. Thanks. Well, uh, to start that, we're just, it's just audio, isn't it, Kevin? It's just audio. I just use video. Yeah, cool. Just, yeah. Cool. Okay, so why or how did I become interested in pain? I have two answers to that question. Uh, one is the more naive one, uh, which was that I, I sort of began my academic career having uh, left a sporting career because of injury. So I was exposed to university within the context of having uh, some pretty brutal low back pain. Uh, for five or six years and learning about the biological sciences was very inspiring and full of opportunities for me and learning about the therapeutic stuff was almost depressing because it seems not really aligned with, with what I learned in biosciences. Uh, so uh, I, I initially became fascinated with neuroscience I think and, and then pain from a personal perspective uh, was was really relevant to that and I guess I had a personal objective to improve uh, my own quality of life. I think one probably encompasses a wider understanding of myself. I mean I find I find humans fascinating. I, I really do I, and I find myself fascinating. I don't really understand myself very well. Uh, and other humans I find almost as fascinating as, as I find <laughs> myself. Uh, so, and pain is such a, it, it really is such a private, individual and quintessential human experience. Uh, so I'm, I've always been fascinated by, by the things that we feel. And that mix of that, of, of falling in love with neuroscience and, and a wider level biology, uh, naturally drawn towards uh, being aware, I think the influence of my own upbringing uh, has left me really cognizant of those who are sort of outcast and oppressed and on the edges. Uh, and maybe it's that triumvirate of, of those three things that resonated sufficiently to, to trigger my journey into this space. Uh, is that, I, I think that covers it. I, I, I think it does. I think philosophically, it, it definitely does. And it's kind of interesting because so many people have a personal history of pain and it kind of drives their interest into it. You're really, you know, just mm. like had you said, brings that, I don't know, it, it, well, pain definitely calls your attention and makes you want to at least understand a little bit more. Sure. Um, so when you, so when then you went into the clinical realm, what, what did you really discover and how, what were the challenges then? Because the way that you teach and explain pain as a, you know, again, as a fellowship trained pain physician is not the way that is typically talked out there. So how did you, I mean, and again, coming from my own experience, it was a very difficult transition to start thinking differently. How did you do that? Yeah, great question. I think my own personal experience was, was fundamental in that. Uh, the, the conventional model, you know, that Descartes pathoanatomical structural pathology model that I also learned in, uh, it, it really didn't make sense from, from my perspective as, as someone experiencing pain and, and the, the rules that it would, uh, that, that framework would predict didn't work 
So I think I, I was naturally thinking, well, this can't be right. <laughs> um, but I think also, you know, clinically, it's, it, it, were, it, were the, it was the people who were in chronic pain for whom an acute pain model at the time, so that structural pathology model, was clearly not helping them, uh, who for me clinically were the most exasperating. They were the heart sink sort of patients. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do for, for Doris now? Nothing works. Uh, and my natural response to anything that I, that I don't understand to do with humans has always been understand it <laughs> and I found myself clinically spending more and more time just trying to convey what I thought was fascinating and and what I thought were the biosciences were telling us were probably happening inside this person and the, it, you know my perspective for you know it's been a long time since uh, you know decades since we've discovered we being humans have, have discovered the the fallibility of that pathoanatomical model and the true complexity of pain. Uh, so so for me, working as a clinician in the nineties, this was this was hardly even new and cutting edge then. <laughs> but it was what the biosciences were were saying. So so I just was not. Uh, I I was ethically well ethically. I, I had a lot of internal dissonance about delivering treatments for which the rationale did not fit uh, and the the more i learned about the rationale for the treatments that i was involved with the less i believed them and the less effective my interventions became which is really fascinating um and i just found myself saying to people this is what i think is happening this is what the the scientists tell us is happening and people would start to get better uh, <laughs> And so, I, you know, it wasn't really strategic looking for the gap or anything like that. It was me just trying to do an honest day's work and thinking people are really responding symptomatically and quality of life to this. And, uh, you know, I was working as a clinician, I had no idea how to do research. Uh, until you know, a fellow said maybe you should learn how to do research and, and I'd already started a, my version of a, of a clinical trial and thinking is this really working? Uh, it looks like it is, how do we test that? And science tells us how to test it. And, um, so it, it probably looks from the outside that it was a strategic identification of a gap and filling it, but it wasn't that at all. It was uh, personal and then clinical experience uh, that planted the seed, and then then I was gobsmacked. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, yeah, it totally does. Absolutely gobsmacked that this this science that we've known for ages doesn't penetrate clinical practice. I, I still find that gobsmacking because it still doesn't in many cases. And I think, what what is going on? I don't really understand that. Uh, I, I mean, I do understand aspects of it because we are, we're complex and we're sitting in a in a sociological pot of stuff uh, so I can I can really understand that there are barriers to this transition for people uh, and there's significant barriers and you know I'm a, I'm a big believer in Darwinian <laughs> principles of stuff and I can see that it's not in 
in the biological, doesn't seem to be in the biological interest of some people to transition their model of treatment towards what I see to be a, a fairly clear cut case. Um, but that's where, you know, maybe there's an obligation for us to work against those Darwinian forces. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is pretty, pretty interesting. I, you know, I, I'm thinking back when I was making my transition and it was just shocking when you find papers from like, like the eighties even describing things. There was a Waddell paper in 1987 talking about back pain. And I'm like, this could have been written yesterday. It's the same yeah. problems and no one's doing anything. Uh, yeah, it's astounding. Yeah. Now, when we had talked previously, you had, you'd made a brief mention. And I, if you don't mind, I was wondering if you can clarify that. You were saying that when you started doing your research or you started questioning, you, there was some there was some hardship there as well. Clinically, other people in the field were um, not what you would call strongly supportive of what you were saying. <laughs> uh, yes, I probably did did articulate something like that. I uh, I, I feel um, I don't know if I'm old enough to be saying maybe I'm just maturing, but I uh, I mean there's resistance to any any transition, isn't there, and any any change. But I come from a a discipline that has a very rich history in uh, in guruism uh, and along with that the the magic of healing hands or healing strategies and everything has traditionally been been channeled through a supposed effect on the tissues of the body uh, and as science has slowly clawed its way into this it's revealed more and more that the mechanisms by which my discipline has presumed, presumed its interventions work are almost certainly wrong. Now, they're almost certainly not those mechanisms. Uh, but 20 years ago, this um, it was inconceivable that uh, someone would question the mechanisms and I guess in some ways the effectiveness and, and efficacy of these interventions but that that purely reflected my own experience you know I would I would do these maneuvers that I'd been taught by by absolute you know by gurus uh, and my natural predisposition has always been to understand and as I try to understand the the theoretical models I, I just didn't believe them. So that, that, can't, that can't be true. There's no, ultimately, if you dig down these, these levels, and, and you know, over the last 20 years, I've thought a lot about knowledge. And uh, you know, the, the, Thomas Kuhn would say the structure of scientific revolutions, because I, I, think, I think we're in the middle of one of the slowest scientific revolutions <laughs> that, that, that clinical practice will have. Uh, but I do think it's revolutionary, uh, and, and as I think, you know, think about it in those terms, which I didn't, but I, but I do now. That you know, we have these theories that really predict our, our behaviour, and we construct hypotheses. And uh, I think the the biomedical model is so profoundly powerful that our our generalisation into pain and chronic pain in particular. Uh, was meant to be trouble-free 
easy. Uh, but I don't think it's been very common to go through those theoretical links and look for the look for the truth in the underlying rationale. Because when you do, the truth is very elusive, uh, and and there are, in my view, clearly better frameworks and better bodies of knowledge uh, for us to base our treatments on. Uh, and I think there's relatively there's very widespread acceptance of that now. But 20 years ago, there was not. In my discipline, you know, I, I mean, I I had some pretty pretty ugly interactions. Um, and I, I might say as honest as I can, as, as one can be, and one can never be completely factual in recollections, but my recollection is that I was never the antagonist <laughs> in these situations. Uh, I was, uh, I always felt like I was trying really hard to be true. Uh, and that, that really brought me into conflict with, with people I respected in my field um, which was really difficult, but uh, almost without exception, those conflicts have resolved. Uh, and uh, you know, kudos where it's due to, to some of those people also making the transition, uh, and and not because of me, but because of their own integrity. I think so. Um, yeah, it started off pretty ugly, but but I think and and, I, and it's still you know, still we have these ugly moments, and you you'd have them. I'm sure you'd have them where people are telling you off your rocker or, you know, or, or more violent than that. But you know, if, you've, if, you've, if you've locked in a part of your identity to a mechanism underpinning your intervention, then if someone challenges that mechanism, they're challenging your identity. So I completely understand that people will kick against that with vigor. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely, and and particularly in, in the field that I came from, the interventional pain side, I, I, there's a disconnect. I think if you start understanding how this all works, then you realize what these injections do or not doing, um, and then you start thinking about the people that you're subjecting them to. That that can be a very difficult process to kind of wrap your mind sure. around. So sure. yeah, yeah, so we're we're talking we're we're talking about pain, but what I would really find interesting is is you know, the, the, the IASP definition of pain is an sen- unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or potential tissue damage or described in terms thereof. But how would, how do you define pain? How would, you know, what is it that we're trying to treat? Mm. Uh, well, firstly, let me congratulate you on how easily you reel off that definition. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, how would I define pain? Well, I guess if I was to resist the temptation to caveat this with all the philosophical and uh, biopsychosocial bents on everything, I would define pain as a an unpleasant feeling in your body that is that urges behaviour to protect that part of the body, or probably more. Probably more accurately, I would I would say it's an unpleasant feeling felt somewhere in your body that urges behaviour to relieve it. Uh, which in, and in that way, it, it, it's almost unique, isn't it? I mean, what it's it must be some sort of uh, conundrum for really clever philosophical people that it's a that it's a feeling that exists to be obliterated. Or be removed or something like that, but uh, look, if yeah, 
when I think about definitions, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with the IASP definition. Uh, if I think more broadly about uh, a conceptualization of pain, I would want to emphasize its protective uh, effects. I think that really characterizes pain, that, that it is a feeling that makes us want to protect ourselves. Uh, and that that motivational aspect of it, I think, is is really fundamental. Uh, and because I see it as being at the at the very end of the processing tree, by virtue of it existing only in consciousness, I have to concede that I I don't understand that last step. I don't understand how consciousness emerges. But I also have to concede if I position it there. I have to concede that anything at the back end of consciousness, which is everything, should be able to modulate it. Yeah. And I think that's also a fundamental part of my conceptualization of it. And when I say my conceptualization, I, you know, I don't own that. I didn't make it up. It's the conceptualization to which I subscribe. And and I I think what is is you took that a. Uh a further step beyond thought, which is the easy thing. You know, you sit around and think about this stuff. I'm good at that. But you took that and then you did studies that actually showed how you can change this experience that we have, this protective, you know, this idea of trying to protect something in very unique ways. Like I, I love the ones where you're the cold metal bar uh, study and how you're just changing context and things like that. Could you, could you describe some of the ways that we can change pain that has absolutely nothing to do with tissue, with, mo you know, <laughs> with any of that stuff and how, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I, I don't want to take more credit than is due there. I mean, that, that study to which you refer was highly influenced by a study by Arno Arntz, uh, in, in, uh, I guess it's, I guess it's the early two thousands, I think. Uh, where they, you know, they looked at just telling someone this is hot or cold, and and we just went a step further on that to say let's not tell them anything, <laughs> let's just give them really credible cues, and uh, I'd already been fascinated by uh, ex <laughs> really excellent studies looking at the colour of a pill, and an otherwise inert pill, where light blue pills make you drowsy and reduce performance and bright red pills have the opposite effect except in Italian men where light blue pills do the same thing as the red pills and, and I just think oh that is just brilliant how is that happening um, so I thought well maybe we could have similar purchase on an experience that uh, serves to protect us if we give a really credible cue that implies things are are far more dangerous than they are. And and bright red, within the context of a thermal stimulus, uh, is a very powerful cue. So, I mean, in that study, as, as you've referred to, but I'm sure the listeners are not aware of it, we, we put a very cold rod on the back of the hand of supposedly normal, healthy volunteers, uh, and we showed them a light blue or a, a bright red light. And we, we asked them to tell us how hard we pressed, what the temperature was, how much it hurt, uh, we were only interested really in how much it hurt in a, in a primary hypothesis sense. And it was a significantly uh, more painful event if they saw a red light coinciding with it. 
And for some people in that cohort, the difference was one out of 10 pain to seven out of 10 pain. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's mind blowing. Some, I mean, some people that it made no difference and I refer to those people as idiots <laughs> uh, because, because they're not picking up on really sensible cues. So we've done that. I mean, we've, we've probably been more interested uh, our own research group in, in therapeutic applications of it where we've looked at well what happens if you give someone just a small amount of information uh, that's not about uh, responding to pain so there's been a lot of work on you know in hypnosis and other and cognitive behavioral therapy looking at well when you get your pain you should behave in this way or you should think this uh, I, I guess I've been more interested in in saying Let's go a deeper level. Let's try to untangle those core concepts and grab some sort of conceptual nugget. So, you know, we've we've looked at the immediate effect of of uh, an education session on pain, so the whole explain pain idea, where we just try to get across proof that pain, like everything else the brain produces in consciousness, is easily modifiable. Uh, and then we look at when, when it hurts during a straight leg raise, so how far can you lift your leg up before you get pain on the back of your leg or uh, in people with, with back pain? And we show, we, we see clear clear effects of, of that. Um, or how far do you bend over before it hurts? So this is ch changing pain threshold. So I'm gonna interrupt we you really, can you interrupt you really quick, I'm sorry, because I just wanna make sure that that is, is really clearly articulated and the listeners can understand that. This is basically taking a, a, a short book, which is Explain Pain, which talks about this whole experience and metaphors and, and, uh, it, and it's really well written. And just by reading that, they've changed their ability to, you know, when you're talking about these functional tests where they're bending and twisting, that changed their experience of pain. Well, yeah, so we've done that experiment okay. as well. Um, the experiment to which I was referring was a, was a spoken word okay. intervention. So uh, someone sits down for an hour or so and explains with pictures and you know this is not just uh reading something out i mean there's a, there's a lot of conceptual change theory uh learning theory cognitive architecture work that underpins how we do this uh and and clear instructions on multimedia how people learn you know little things like repeat the key phrase Put people into an agreement space. You know, there's some excellent work from uh, Kahneman on uh, thinking yeah. fast, thinking slow is his his book that sort of puts it together. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, we can use those strategies to to change what people are, are doing at the back end out of consciousness when they get a nociceptive or other danger implying cue. But yeah, you, I, I, t I take your point. I'm very happy to iterate that as as well. Maybe by the summary that. If we carefully explain the biology of someone's pain, it has an immediate effect on pain thresholds during movement, on motor recruitment pattern during movement, on descending inhibitory noxious control, uh, using a cold presser task, if people are familiar with that, uh, on articulated beliefs about pain, on average pain over the next two days, a week later, on disability levels, 
12 months later and pain levels 12 months later. So they're a randomized controlled trial, systematic review or tight cross-sectional experimental data on all of those outcomes. And I think what what is both challenging but also exhilarating about that is that if you can shift a fundamental conceptualization of pain to bring it into line with what the science says, then that individual's brain is less likely to produce the pain. And and that's that's a that's a therapeutic target, right? And and the exciting, you know, one of the exciting sequelae of this is that we can we can re-engage with pain relief as a, as a viable target. Whereas the, uh, you know, that, that sort of shift in our field, uh, when the biopsychosocial model really sort of was, was brought into our field by John Locher in the, in the 90s, I think. Uh, but, you know, Engel's work, I think from 77 or somewhere there, where, where he said it's, it's more than the tissue. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, 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 hit that in the 90s on the back of Bill Fordyce's work as well uh, but somehow it was almost hijacked into uh, a view that well you can't do anything about pain and, it, and and I don't know how to make sense of this except to suggest that we had simultaneously the advent of the biopsychosocial model of the human and suffering and a pathoanatomical model of pain working together uh, so that people got the got the message that pain is nociception and damage. Let's put it into a biopsychosocial model, and I, I think the science uh, indicates that that assumption is corrupt, uh, and and it would be more accurate to say pain itself is a biopsychosocial phenomenon. Therefore, if we can mess with the psycho bit really well then we change the pain bit and we now know the data are emerging slowly to show that people even in chronic pain chronic cruddy back pains neck pains fibromyalgias uh can get better and that's yeah it's 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 not quick it's but they can get better and that to me is is uh, is truly revolutionary well, and, and I think it's it's hopeful, I, and that's the other part about it that I think gets missed is because again, speaking from from my own experiences, people seem to have divided this thing into, um, well, it, it's pain's either coming from it's come from the body, it's nociceptive, and we're going to inject it or do whatever, and then we're going to keep doing those until until you can't do any injections or even money runs out. I'm not sure, but then right. we're going to say, you know what, we're that's not what it was. Actually, your pain is now all you're, you're centralized and you're just this big pain thing that's oozing out of you, which in its own way is this biostructural model, this biomechanical model of pain again. It's just we're yeah. moving we're we're moving where the source is coming from. And uh, and then people get told that they can never get well or they can't. You know, I, I'm going to quote a, a passage that you wrote out of your your critical review 15 years of explaining pain which i'm going to link to in the show notes here folks and it's i highly recommend reading it um, when you were talking about i think cognitive behavioral therapies and this whole idea that pain went from 
that is not modifiable anymore. He said, exactly when or why the shift occurred is not clear. That pain can be modified by our beliefs and behaviors became inconsistent with pain cannot be relieved by modifying beliefs and behaviors. And the only thing that you can really do was talk about suffering, right? The pain is always there and we can only modulate the suffering component. Yeah. So. Um, I, don't, I don't get that. I mean, I, I link that to uh, really important uh, but problematic, ultimately problematic uh, forces in, in, in a wider context that have suggested, well, we should think about chronic pain as a disease that exists within, in the first instance, within the spinal cord. Uh, and I completely agree that what yeah, that the, the the negative aspect of that was that we we just moved it in one set <laughs> the the source and and I reckon that's what I mean quite possibly the the movement towards that sort of CBT dominated space and, and uh, CBT is great I think there's great evidence for functional advantage there's actually great evidence for for pain relief well but that seems to go unnoticed but uh, I think what happened I don't know this is just my theory that what happened was that 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 body of researchers uh, and clinicians possibly saw possibly saw a, a market edge to say okay well medicine reckons this is about spinal nose receptor sensitization previously called central sensitization Let's endorse that because they can't do anything about it, mm. and and that's our market. And and I think that I, I don't know that that's what happened, and and I don't want that to come across as suggesting a character flaw or bad intentions at all by that group. Uh, it was probably an appraisal of of reality at the time, uh, but it, it it leaves us in a bit of a hole, doesn't it? Because it just says, okay, it's still the structural pathology model, but the pathology now exists in the spinal cord and and the last few years I reckon has seen us shifted into the brain uh, but to me if if these changes that we're observing or if these abnormalities that we're observing in the brain and imaging studies and and behavioral proximates of that represent pain that I don't understand how someone can be be pain-free at all ever mm-hmm. which they clearly are Hey, throw them a hot potato and they're pain free while the potato's coming at them. Uh, but there's still at least changes in the brain. So uh, I just think it's a it's an error of thought to say these things are pain. Because pain's what you in my view is what you feel. Yeah, I think one of the, the other really profound things that I read that you had put it was is is about meaning. And I was like when I remember the first time I read that, uh, where you're speaking has meaning is the fundamental nature of pain. And I was like, wow, it's true, because if you can have the same sensation, but if the meaning is different in them, it can change everything. And they, I, I use an example when I'm talking to people about like, you know, Swedish masseuse, and they may be just rubbing on really deep tissue. And you may be like, whoa, but, you know, the incense is burning and the soft music or whatever, and it becomes pleasurable. But if you're in a Turkish prison and it's Hagar doing it to you, you know, and he's going to telling you all the awful things, you know, completely different, same yeah. stimulation. But the meaning is so so different, and uh, I, I just found that so powerful. And how we forget about that—that that the, the, the yeah. No, I agree, and and I agree. I love that you said how we forget about that because 
we all sort of know about that. Everyone sort of does know about that, but we it it's we forget about it, and and I think we forget about it because it doesn't fit into the prevailing theory of a structural pathology model of pain. So uh, you know, as Charles, one of my favourite Charles Darwin quotes, uh, and I won't get it verbatim, but the theory is or the the message is right. The meaning is clear to when you observe something that doesn't fit, write that down because otherwise you'll forget it when it doesn't fit. So write that in your note. The ones that don't fit your theory because your brain won't want to store them anyway because it hasn't got a framework. That's mm -hmm. me you know, doing a lot of paraphrasing of, of Charles Darwin. But. Ah, that's, that's, that, I love that. That's, that's great. That's great. Well, I... I um, I don't know how much time you have. I could talk to you forever, but I, we've been talking for 30 minutes and I, and I would rather do another interview with you another date rather than, than, than uh, use up all of my time now and say, my God, I never want to talk to this guy again because he'll talk to me for, for three hours. Um, so if you don't I'll, mind... I've got another five minutes. Five minutes. So I, I, what I would like to do though is are there resources then that you would recommend to clinicians or people who are experiencing pain that or chronic pain that you would recommend that they visit or uh, read or things like that? Good starts for them. Yeah. So there are... You know, th this is evidence of the revolution at play. I think there are now more and more good resources emerging, particularly on the internet. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know them off the top of my head, but uh, I know groups who are producing good stuff, particularly groups here in Australia. Um, one group that's doing good stuff is a group in New South Wales called the Agency of Clinical Innovation, I think it is. Uh, but I could send you some links for you to put on your podcast or whatever. Uh, I think the, the resources that I've been involved with I quite like. Uh, but obviously, I uh, I get money if people buy any of these things, like Explain Pain, Painful Yarns. Um, David Butler, excuse me, David Butler, with whom I wrote Explain Pain and the Explain Pain, Pain Handbook, Protectometer, uh, are two thirds of the way through a book that's targeting clinicians, uh, students, not so much patients. But we're calling Explain Pain Supercharged and, and the idea of that is to sit over the top of Explain Pain. So we've got this suite of resources that, that I guess runs from Painful Yarns and the Explain Pain Handbook Protectometer, which are, are patient targeted resources. Uh, we don't have, we've got data, we've got randomised controlled data for the Painful Yarns book. We're collecting data for the standalone Protectometer book. Uh, I've just done the first sweep of analysis, uh, not in a randomised controlled trial, in a different type of design, which is not quite as strong, but that's looking really good. Uh, we've got a lot of data on explained pain, so that's the next book up, which I think is good for the clever punter, the clever layperson, uh, and probably best for the clinician and the patient. So the clinician has it as a resource and works through it with the patient. Explain Pain Supercharged is uh, really to upskill clinicians so that they feel confident not having to rely on things like Explain Pain. So that they've, they've actually got the resources themselves inside their own knowledge set. Uh, and we wanting, we're wanting to include in that, well we are including in that a uh, hundred uh, nuggets that clinicians can use that address core concepts, you know, that will be 
a simple story, maybe a web link, uh, uh, a video, podcast, something like that. Very short, sharp, that it's a resource set. So we're really excited about that book. It's a, it's a huge amount of work. We've been doing it for three and a half years. Um, but we reckon that will fill what is currently a huge gap between clinician patient resources and the, the tough, the, the, the hard basic science stuff, which is beyond most of us. You know, it's the, the language and, and it's so removed from clinical reality that it's very hard to, to make them jump. So Explain Pay and Supercharge should fill that gap to some extent. We hope that to be out at the end of this year. Excellent. Uh, but but also there are um, there are some nice little videos going around. I mean, the Hunter Integrated Pain Service has the Brain Man animations. Uh, I know that the Pain Forum, that is a industry-sponsored site, and and I think it might be pharmaceutical or neurostimulation-sponsored site, and I think that's always relevant. Uh, is starting up a patient-dedicated forum, so that will be interesting to see what that's like. Uh, although I, you know, I'm I'm slightly nervous about the funding model of that, um, but we'll see. Uh, I, I'm not against getting to bed with the devil uh, in order to get the message across. So uh, there's a group in Western Australia who are doing good, having good resources online. Uh, there's a great group at Macquarie University in Sydney who's got an online pain program, and I'm sure there are equivalents uh, throughout the world of these sorts of things. Um, yeah, so so we we're I think we're in the middle of a explosion of of good web based resources, uh, and I think we're not that far away from tipping over the edge of there being too many. So people will get confused about well, these are slightly different. What's the difference? What should I do? It's a risk we face. I think. Yeah. So one one final question here, uh, just for the listeners, and um, I have to ask you, what does chuffed mean? <laughs> I read that in your bio, and I also say I I supported Pain Adelaide, and it's and it was like chuffed.org. I'm like, what is this chuffed thing? What 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 is uh, this? That's 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 amazing. I I presumed it was ubiquitous across English speakers. So chuffed, I think it might be from England. I don't think it's Australian, but I might be wrong. Chuffed means uh, I'm I'm very excited and humbled at the same time. Uh, very grateful, highly appreciative, those sorts of things. Uh, but normally it will involve um, someone else uh, being generous or kind to you and say, you know, so we're giving you this award, and you say, oh, I'm really chuffed to get this award. Ah, makes sense? That makes perfect sense. In fact, I can say I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed that you spent the time with me. Would that be okay if I said that? I really <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah. I'm chuffed that you wanted to send it. <laughs> this was great. It works out well. Yeah. Thank you so uh, much. I, and uh, to all listeners out there, stay well. Hey folks, Dr. Kevin again, just to kind of close out this episode. I hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. This was a, a an amazing experience for me again, actually being able to talk to Dr. Mosley about pain, having him take the time out of his busy schedule to 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 talk to us really from the future since he was in Australia, which is about, ooh, I don't know, 15 hours ahead of my time zone. Um, 
I, I wanted to emphasize, we will be linking to the show notes at straightshothealth.com. They'll be straightshothealth.com forward slash Mosley, M-O-S-E-L-E-Y. And there we will have links for both his book, Explain Pain, the Explain Pain Protectometer, um, also to bodyandmind.org, which is a website that he edits, uh, which is one of the best, best website when it comes to like the clinical aspects of pain and chronic pain therapies. Um, and I'm also going to put a, a link to one of my own little websites there, which is understandyourpain.org, um, which is a conceptualization about chronic pain and about pain in general, uh, which is a brief presentation there that may also be of benefit for some people. So um, thank you guys. I ho- hope you got, you, you, uh, you got as much out of this one as I did. I know we talked about some deep concepts in there, uh, but there's a lot of hope as well. And I, I want to kind of emphasize that too much with chronic pain, we're taught that there's nothing that you can do, um, that you just have to live with it alone. And that's not true. There's a lot of hard work that needs to be done, but people can get better from it but we just first have to understand what it is that we're treating. So thanks again, everybody. Thanks to Dr. Mosley for taking the time, and I will see you next time uh, on straightshothealth.com. Thanks.